All right. I was told it is 7 o'clock. So uh, bear with me here. So anyway, glad to see everyone tonight. If you're joining us online, we're honored to have you with us. Richard, standard, uh, excuse me, standing by. Just let him know you're there. If we be a blessing, let us know. There's a prayer tab in the bottom right-hand corner. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Uh, we always say that it's private, secure, only goes to one source. So feel safe in uh, letting us know how we can pray for you. Um, I think I'm a little hot, Mark, or sounds like I'm in a barrel. So um, some of y'all remember, who remembers, I don't know if anybody does in here, Jennifer Lyra? I think I'm only, <laughs> now that I'm looking around, only three or four of us, five of us remember. Jennifer Lyra is something that a few of us uh, going to another church, and uh, they, uh, she has uh, always had asthma. She had a very severe, and uh, it put her into a coma and cut off her brain functions, and uh, she is uh, brain dead. Uh, technically, uh, she's got some motor waves in her brain stem, but she's in a coma, non-responsive, so the family, uh, which I would agree with, is understand right, maybe tomorrow or Friday, but just keep uh, the family in prayer, the Lyra family. Um, she's, uh, they're not old, they're probably, I guess they're like 40s maybe, maybe, maybe 50. Uh, they have two daughters, but obviously the daughters are uh, grown, uh, which helps a little bit. But obviously it's going to be tough on the family. So just keep them in prayer and uh, uh, say family, served the Lord for many years, still was active in their walk in church. So uh, better, a be better deal out of the thing than anybody else is. So but keep them in prayer and uh, just keep my sister in prayer. She's going back Tuesday for uh, follow-up MRI. And we'll start a second round of chemo. So uh, just keep her in prayer. It's online. So uh, any thoughts and prayers towards her? I know she'd appreciate it, as we all would. Uh, and I think that is it. Well, let's pray. Yes, ma'am. About what? Uh, I have not heard from her. Uh, you know, Charlotte's mom, who was in Legends Nursing Home, they had to take her to ER. Uh, she was unresponsive and struggles there. Uh, then I'll see keep her in prayer so i don't have an update but i uh, believe she's still in the hospital but then charlotte's daughter charlotte terry's granddaughter callen c-a-l-l-e-n um, is going to have to go back in for surgery and have a uh, a tracheotomy done to, uh, for breathing uh, so uh, they're back to feeding her intravenously so a lot of challenges there for this little infant child all right, well, let's pray, and we'll get into this. Father, thank you tonight for allowing us to gather together. We know we're two or more you're here amongst us, so we just thank you for that. We thank you for your spirit. Just pray freely amongst us tonight. Prepare our hearts for your truth, that uh, we can just continue to grow in your goodness and your righteousness, and uh, ask that you anoint every word that's spoken. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, interesting how the lord works uh, i've been going through personal devotions in deuteronomy uh man y'all get the my daily little scripture that jumps out and uh it ties in to what i posted this morning to all of our men but uh it comes out of hebrews chapter five so let me read here a little bit and we're going to focus on really just one key verse then we're going to look at deuteronomy now, it should be very short tonight point so we have here, it says, For every high priest taken from among the ordained for men and things pertaining to God. Now the author of Hebrews, be it Paul or Barnabas, who it may be, is referring back to chapter 1 and re-identifying, of course, Christ. We know Christ is our ultimate high priest. But yet then God does have men that he calls that are to fulfill the role of high priest and leadership and spiritual guidance. We could, in a sense, essence, we could consider you know myself as a pastor and you know so so he's referring to this that we got these earthly high priests that pertain to these positions uh, that offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins and uh, who can have compassion this is the word i want to look at can have compassion on the next word is ignorant hebrews chapter 2 have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way 
two points we're going to look at. For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity, and by reason thereof he ought is for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So what, what we're able to, to discern from this, let's jump down to verse 11. I don't know if I gave these to Mark very late. Uh, my screen's not on Mark for what it's worth, but not that I need it. In Hebrews 5:11, it says, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, ye are, and it says, dull of hearing. You know, spiritually, you know, you know, acting like your spiritual hearing aids are turned off. Truths are being spoken or being said, but yet you're not hearing what needs to be heard. And, and so it ties into this. So situations, are we able to take to heart and make sure we're not dull of hearing ourselves? We got to be sensitive to this. You know, it's not just showing up at church and just hearing what a pastor says. You can literally be in the Word of God. i got to hurry up and get my devotions in, read for five minutes so I can get in traffic and get to work. You can read through a chapter and be dull of hearing. It's not just reading the Word of God. It brings the favor and blessings of God. It's when we're responsive to the Word of God. So Hebrews 11 warns us, are we dull of hearing? context of the statement we're one to have compassion but what's interesting about this word compassion it may or may not be up there on the screen it's a greek word it's metri met metri if i think i pronounced it right but what it's worth it means to be moderate and passion and and it's interesting because it's the only two scriptures right here hebrews chapter 5 verse 2 so it's hard as you look for uh, you know, support within the scriptures and, and studying. It's hard to get an in-depth understanding. Now, you can take some, uh, a little bit of uh, freedom and cross-reference to a couple of towards us. So, relating to this, it's relating to man's ability to mediate for an ignorant man. Now, you know, if a kid, if your child calls somebody ignorant, we don't tell them. I don't be calling anybody ignorant. By definition, ignorant is not a slanderous statement. We're ignorant in many degrees. You don't want me doing brain surgery on you. I am vastly ignorant when it comes to brain surgery. I'm vastly ignorant in a lot of things. So when the scripture says towards ignorant man, you know, we can't read something like that and say, oh, I can't believe God accused me of being ignorant. Or I can't believe somebody would think I would be ignorant. But yet, we easily can be ignorant. Anytime we're lacking truth, understanding, and we're dull of hearing, are we not ignorant towards that truth? Yeah, you know, ignorance is lacking knowledge, lacking understanding to a specific subject. It's not calling somebody stupid. Big difference between stupidity and ignorance. And so the scripture's calling out that we don't want to be dull of hearing. We don't want to be ignorant. So ignorant man, and it deals with his infirmities. And to plead for them is one who is called to spiritually lead them or guide them, direct them, obviously, towards Jesus. But here's the, here's the emphasis we got to pull out. It's really the direction I'm going. Meaning, this context shows that though themselves are just mere humans themselves, these spiritual leaders, these, these, these priests, these high priests that are supposed to to emulate Christ and, and be a spiritual leadership and authority to show and point out somebody else's ignorance, they have to be sensitive themselves that they don't become ignorant in what God's called them to do. So we know Christ ultimately fulfills the role of the high priest. Thus, we know he has all the attributes and characteristics, i.e., compassion being one of them. Now, we see this from experience. Look what it says in Matthew 8, 17. That he might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our what? Our infirmities and bare our sickness. So we know this is the compassion that Christ had towards us. One, a high priest, a man that's called into this position, can that man take your infirmities for you? No, he can only lead you to the one that died and took your infirmities, i.e. Christ and Christ alone. So this is one strong example. We know Christ embodied this 
and he should, as being the high priest. But it also makes reference to even leading up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, that feathers embodies this. Look what it says in Luke 19.41. Uh, this isn't dealing with the garden. This is dealing with Jerusalem. But he says, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and did what? He wept over it. And if you read the full context, Jesus is saying, you, you know, paraphrasing, they don't even understand that in this time in their life, what I'm coming to do, they're not even going to acknowledge it. Christ knew they were going to kill him. He knew that's what he had to do to die for our sins. What Christ was weeping over is that they are ignorant to the truth and they won't accept it. They're dull of hearing. He knew they were going to call him blasphemous. They knew that they weren't crucifying because he claimed to be God in flesh. And yet his heart wept just when he came upon Jerusalem and looked upon it, he, he stopped and he prayed over Jerusalem out of compassion because they were dull of hearing or would be dull of hearing. Look what it says in Hebrews 5, 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers, this is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and supplications with strong crying. We know he, he, you know, he you know, sweated droplets of blood, tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. So even up to the last moment, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ is crying out to God. One, he asks that this cup can be removed from his lips. He says, yet, but Father, thy will be done. I'm, I'm, I'm here to bring about a, a, a level of compassion that would take away the infirmities of men, the very thing that would kill them, the sin that they could not deal with on themselves, a price they could not pay. So like Christ, earthly men that are called and were called to have compassion for the ignorant. Ignorance towards what? Okay, go back to verse 2. On them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmities. Meaning all men are able to err, are we not? We're all prone to sin in two areas. We saw in verse 11, dull in knowledge. You can stay underneath the Word of God all you want to. If you continue to refuse to respond to the Word of God, it doesn't matter how much you hear, how much you know, how much you, Scripture you can quote. Is it, are we living by way of it? If not, there is an application of a dullness of hearing, a refusal to respond to truth. We've probably all been there. Have you ever stopped your kid stopped them got down i used to do them get down to my knees and i'd, I'd go like this i go look at me look well okay no look at me now tell me what i said uh <laughs> and they couldn't and i told them twice two times in a row second time i walked right in the first time my fault they were running by hey stop do so so okay dad and run off you're like right then you go well, you didn't hear me so you wait five or ten minutes Go open the door. Yes, sir. Did you hear what I said? Oh, yeah. No, they didn't. They heard I talked to them. But if, you, if I would have asked them right there, they couldn't have repeated it then. And I would do it on purpose. Did you hear what I said? Yes, sir. I'd just say, okay. I'd go, no, watch this. Because Sam said, did you tell him? Yeah, but he still hasn't heard me. I'd like sometimes I'd be 20 minutes if it wasn't anything big. They'd come back in, get something to drink. They'd be coming. I'd say, hey, come here. And I'd make them walk, you know, if I, was, if I was sitting in the recliner, I'd make them walk right in front of me. Look me in the eyes. They're like, what's up? I'm always goofing around. They thought I was playing. I said, tell me what I said a while ago. It'd be dead quiet. I said, you know I made an audible noise, but you never heard what I said. Now, I'm belaboring that illustration. Can we not do the same thing with the Word of God? Can we not read this all we want to? And listen to it on Sunday or Wednesday nights or a Bible study and walk. Well, I'll give you a perfect example because <laughs> it happens during the week. Text, beep, goes off. What, what were we talking about Sunday? I want to tell so-and-so how good it was. I can't really remember. Now, there, there can be other factors causing that or, you know, 
what was that verse or, or things that, that were shared that, man, two or three days later now in one ear and out the other. So one, it's talking about here, we can't be ignorant towards dull in knowledge towards sin. And two, second way we'll look at in our way. And this is what jumped out out of Deuteronomy. So two points here and we'll be through. Dealing with our ignorance, dull of hearing, and the way that we're traveling. One, since we're susceptible to it ourselves, that we can err as much as anybody else. One, we must learn to be patient with brothers and sisters in Christ. Just on the fact, if we can, and we do, we err in our own ways at different times. Where can we justify being short, shortness and patience with other people? Especially when you consider about how long patient and suffering Christ was with each and every one of us. We must be patient, very patient, long-suffering with others who wander, who err ignorantly concerning their way in the truth of God's Word. Notice Jesus prayed, it said, compassionately over the souls of Jerusalem when he entered Jerusalem, as well in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Point is, we mustn't be so quick to point out another's actions, decisions that cause them to err in any way. Easiest thing to do is to sit back and look and just point out somebody's sin. Well, did you see or hear what so-and-so did? Can you believe so-and-so did so-and-so? That doesn't take a lot of spiritual maturity to point out somebody else's error. Pardon me? Well, true in a way they did just sin by gossiping, but... but but we got to be, we got to understand, we got to be short that just because somebody errs in the flesh, maybe they acted ignorantly. Maybe they were dull to respond to truth and they acted in the flesh. Maybe they just sinned out of scriptural ignorance. Maybe they didn't even know, per se, that was a sin. I wouldn't say that happens a lot because, you know, that we're pretty, the Word of God is pretty clear. But we got to be patient as God was patient with us. Well, you mustn't be so quick to point out, again, their actions, their decisions that cause them to err or to wander away. Everything should be done by way of our response for the advance of the gospel, should it not? We should, we should interact in each other's lives. We should encourage one another. We should hold each other accountable. We should do it all for the cause of the gospel, not just to make one superior over the other, not to hoard over another, not to, to, to uh, uh, judge others, not to uh, uh, condemn others. You know, can't believe you did that. I can't believe you do that. I can't believe that. Oh, man, we've got to be so careful. We've got to be so careful lest we err ourselves. So we, has, we must respond on behalf of the gospel and Christ's amazing love. To do so, we must be able to look past faults, shortcomings, failures. Question is, can we do that? Can we look beyond somebody else's shortcomings? We, I mean, I have to tell you, we, we better be able to. If not, we're going to bring judgment down upon ourselves. Judge not, lest you be judged, the Bible tells us. Does the Bible not say get the what out of your eye before you worry about the speck in somebody else's? Yeah, big old plank out of your own eye before you start pointing out the speck in somebody. But we get so hyper-focused because maybe we get something didn't go the way we wanted to. We had uh, unrealistic expectations that we put on circumstances or people. And these things well up in our lives, and we get this sense of bitterness or frustration or, or, or just you know, immediate anger, and then we just start lashing out. I can't believe. Why would you? And, and yet the whole time, we got to understand how accountable we are. And we must be patient with others, just as Christ has been long-suffering, patient with us. Is that not how we got saved? Think about that. When you heard the gospel... You were bound for hell prior to that, were you not? 
Now, you may not have known it, you may not have thought it, but now that you've come to an understanding of the gospel, we must understand we ourselves were bound for hell, and rightfully so, because we have erred in the flesh in many ways. But did not somebody at that moment look past you for the sake of the gospel? And yet then we get saved and we go on through life, and now we don't want to look past other people's sins. We want to stop right there instead of trying to, to build the gospel in them, exhort them through the gospel and the promises of God, and get them back in their way, get them out of the air. We want to stop at their sins and start condemning their sins. And don't look past, just like somebody looked past ours for us to be able to receive the gospel. Number two, we must keep our eyes on our own path. Keep our eyes on our own path. Meaning we must stay focused on our own walk, lest we ourselves veer away from the Father's commandments. Just like a sheep gone astray. Turning to our own ways, responding in the flesh. Remember, anytime we respond or stand or make decisions in the, in the flesh, we have directly and immediately, and you can say intently, veered from the way Christ has for you. You set your own path. You went your own way. Anytime we go against the Word of God, then we're venturing off our own way. It can happen when we do it through fleshly opinion, pride, arrogance, being judgmental of others, turning away from the truths that will bring about joy, peace, and happiness that only comes by way of the Father. By way of the Father and staying in the way of the Father and the way that He directs us. So to do so, to stay in the way, one must be tender-hearted, must be compassionate like Christ, it must be long-suffering like Christ in order to direct others back to the path they wandered from. Remember, Christ, is it not the love of God that leads a man to repentance? Not condemnation. You need to get your life right. I can't believe you're living like that. I can't believe you're doing that. You're a drug addict. You're a drunk. You're a gambler. You're, that's your problem. You're just this, this, and that. Where's the compassion that's going to get them back on the way to Christ? Somebody that's a drunk, an alcoholic, a, a whatever, that pointing that out, which is not the obvious, when has ever, anybody ever been in that position and that not be obvious in their spirit? They know who they are and what they are. Pointing that out is not going to magnify the gospel in their lives. The gospel is about forgiveness. The gospel is about restoration. It's about being born again. It's about being renewed in spirit. It's not pointing out. The gospel's not there to point out and condemn others for their actions. We'll never get anybody back on the right path. So to do so, to stay in the way, one must be tender-hearted, compassionate, long-suffering in order to do so. But this is a problem that God pointed out to the Hebrew children all the way back in Deuteronomy. Meaning, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. The same thing that happened during the Exodus, it's the same thing that happens every single day with Christians when we wander from the way. Look what it says in Deuteronomy. We're going to Deuteronomy 9. We're going to read some verses here and just let it flow. You can read all of, it, all of chapter 9 deals with it. It says, Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over the Jordan this day to go in to possess greater nations and mightier than thyself, cities great and fenced up to heaven. Should go to verses 3 through 4. Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee. As a consuming fire he shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said unto thee. Speak not thou in thy heart. After that, that the Lord thy God has cast some out from before the seed to thee, saying, For what? My righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord does drive, these, uh, drive them out from thee. Verses 6 through 7. Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness. The point here. God's making a verse, or Moses is to them through God, 
that, look, check yourself, is what we say. You know, hey, whoa, whoa, check yourself. You're, you're way out of place here. You're way above your spiritual pay grade. God's not doing anything in us, through us, and for us because of our righteousness. I.e., the Scripture says there's none righteous, no, not one. Anything good God does in and through our lives or uses our lives to bless others is all for his right, through his righteousness, righteousness and for his glory, not for us. We're a vessel. We're not the source. We're the vessel that delivers the source of the truth. So he's saying here, possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a what? Stiff-necked people. God's saying, check yourself, <laughs> my children. Remember who and what you are. Remember and forget not how thou provokest to the Lord thy God. He's saying, do you not remember what we've already been through in this exodus? Do you not remember that when Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and I, I'm the one that told Moses he needs to get back to the camp because y'all have gone, we're going to read, astray? How quick we forget. Do you think God understands what he's dealing with, that he's already having to tell them, look, this is what I'm about to do, and when I do it, don't make it about you. None of this is about you. It's for you, but it ain't about you. It's about me and my glory. God had not even delivered the promise yet, and he's already pointing out their sin that's coming. You were talking about dull of hearing. Would you not have thought or would you not have hoped that they say, oh, we need to listen to what God's saying and not do that. But what did they do? They did it. Why? Because they were dull of hearing. They heard God, but they didn't take it to heart. And uh, jump to verse 12 here. And the Lord saith unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence, for thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves they are quickly turned aside of the what? Way. They got out of God's way, and now we're going their way. God says, well, you need to get down there, Moses. They're off doing their own thing, their own way. They're living life how they want to, making their own fleshly decisions. Which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. Furthermore, the Lord spake unto me, saying, I have seen these people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people again. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of thee a nation mightier, greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tables of the covenant of the Ten Commandments thy hands. And I looked, and behold, they have sinned against the Lord your God." And made me a you know, molten calf, you turned aside quickly out of the way. So two times in this, in this story that he's sharing through Moses, he's pointing out that his own children, these Hebrew children, that he was going to birth as his nation, have now already wandered their own ways. The exact same thing we're warned about now in Hebrews for us. Through the Gentile church. Don't make this about you. Don't start putting expectations in your life. And then when those expectations don't come about, and then we start condemning them, and we start being judgmental and angry and bitter and, and all these things and pride, all these things that come into our lives. God says, no, 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 you're dull of hearing. Just like the children of, uh, you know, in, in the Hebrews and Exodus, they uh, told them, that I'm doing this by my righteousness, not by them. I told them not let that creep up in their lives, and it did. Now he's telling us today, same thing. Don't make this about you. You're only where we are. Todd, Todd, you're only where you're at by way of my righteousness. Because somebody was obedient to take my way and follow my way into your life and share the gospel with you. If it wasn't for my righteousness, if it wasn't for my love, if it wasn't for my resurrection, you would still be going to hell, Todd. Who are you to sit up on your spiritual high horse and start judging other things in your life because somebody's not doing what you want them to do or don't think they're living the way they should be living or if they were doing this, this wouldn't be happening. No, we need to look at ourselves. We need to make sure, one, we're not dull of hearing, make sure we're hearing the Word of God, and we're responding to the Word of God. 
And two, we need to make sure we stay in our way. And that way is the way of the Lord. And don't be venturing off in our own ways. Happened over 4,000 years ago. It's happening today. Same thing. He's talking in both cases. He's talking to believers. Quit wandering in your way. And quit being dull of hearing that you're only hearing what you want to hear. You're only applying what you want to apply to your life. And a lot of Christians, especially Christians today, they're quicker to apply the truth of God's Word to somebody else's life where they are their own life. Get the plank out of your own eye. You're not getting any spiritual brownie points pointing out everybody else's sin. There's ways to help people with their sin. It's the same way Christ did. It's through prayer and compassion, one-on-one. If they don't respond to you, Matthew 18, go get a brother in Christ. Go back and talk to them again. Acknowledge the sin. Show them truth. If they still don't respond, then you take it to the elder, the pastor of the church. That's how you deal with other people being out of the way. Not quick just to point out why they're out of the way and they need to get back in the way. And a lot of times we're commanded and directed people to get back in the way. We're not in the way ourselves. It's all right there. The Lord warns us about our own direction, the way we're headed. Is our path straight forward and towards the gospel truth? Or are we wandering in and out of truth ourselves? Doing so, we catch ourselves being judgmental, prideful, and arrogant in our own walk. We must be aware and focused in case we run into an Apollos. Chase a rabbit here. Look at Acts 18, 24 through 25. If you read it here in scriptures, Apollos is a man that comes about and, and, and he hears, overhears about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who we know was a forerunner of Christ, preached there's one coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to latch, one that's going to take away the sins of the world. So what he had heard, he heard from John the Baptist at the time, he would have heard the repentance of sin, towards sin. Now let me ask you, does just repenting towards sin save you? You can acknowledge sin all day long, right? Okay, repentance doesn't work in your life without salvation. So repentance is a first step that leads you to salvation. It's understanding we're a sinner, repenting of that sin, and accepting Christ who died for that sin. That's the gospel. Apollos heard just enough to be dangerous. But when, when it says in the scriptures here, 24 through 26, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born out of Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, he, he was hearing some things, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Again, Apollos only heard John the Baptist in the way of repentance towards sins. He had never heard or, or you know, had the opportunity to accept the full gospel, meaning which prepared the way for Christ, John the Baptist, who took away the sins so we could have a way in his righteousness. It leads us to his righteousness, not ours. So, are we putting ourselves in a position for the sake of the gospel? Are we living, being sharp of hearing? I mean, not just hearing it, but applying truth to our lives and making sure we're, our own walk, our own personage, are we accountable to truth in our life that we read in here? And two, are we in our way? Are we going the way the Lord has for us? Or are we venturing our own paths, making our own decisions, living by the flesh instead of by the faith? If we couple those, and then we learn to be long patient and suffering and use compassion towards others through the gospel to make sure they're hearing what they need to hear and helping others get back in the way the Lord wants them to go. 
That's a lot of accountability right there. And it starts with us. Are we responding in the way? Are we walking in the way? And are we hearing what we need to hear and living the way we're supposed to live for the sake of the gospel so it makes impacts on lives around us? Amen? Thoughts or questions, I mean? Who did? You and I? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Through Scripture. Yeah. Oh, it changed dramatically when you got in God's way and out of your way. Yeah. So, you, you, I mean, you can have one and not the other. You can have hearing and you can have knowledge and at times actually be wisdom when you apply that knowledge, but it's then turn right around and venture off in your own way at different times until the Holy Spirit, in most cases, or a brother or sister in Christ says, hey, walks up, you know, the arm around you or texts you or calls you and takes you to lunch and say, hey, do you know I love you? Well, yeah, I don't know. Do you know that I love you? Oh, yeah, I, I know I do. You truly believe that? Yes, I believe you love me. We need to talk. Is this going on? Well, yeah, it is. You know, you know what I'm saying? If you love somebody, then through the gospel, you don't have to beat them up. To get them back in the way it's just put their eyes back on the way renew their hearing of the truth and go wow i knew that i know that i've been taught that i didn't even realize i was out there didn't realize i was off the path of that truth nobody needs to know but you too and that's using the gospel the same gospel that got us saved, the same gospel that got me saved is the same gospel God's asking me to be sharp in hearing towards, make sure I stay in my way and have the compassion to help others do the same thing. Amen? All right. I am done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight, this opportunity to gather. And, Father, just to look at your word and understand that... Uh, Lord, to say it applies to our lives is, is so much of an understatement that uh, the, the, the key is and the importance is do we take it and apply it to our lives, that we're willing to be sacrificial and, and to walk in a way that allows the gospel to, to work through us, that instead of being angry and judgmental and prideful and arrogant, that we learn to be compassionate, just as Jesus, when he stopped over Jerusalem, and looked down upon Jerusalem and, 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 and prayed and wept for them and had compassion, knowing, knowing they're the ones that were going to send him to the cross because they were out of their way. They were dull of hearing. And, Father, we just thank you for that. We just pray that we take it, apply it to our lives, and understand that just as you've been long-suffering and patient with our myriad of errors we have in our life, that uh, we be just as much with our brothers and sisters in Christ or even an unsaved person so they have the opportunity to see your love for them. We thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your patience with us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.